Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would be our rule, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and that our greatest concern would that you receive glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Thanks, Kevin. That is a great song to start this passage with. Well, here we are. Once again, you're stuck with me. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm going to continue uh, in the book of Romans. Um, as we begin our study in Romans 6, 16 through 23, we need to recognize that Paul continues his theological approach to the people. Should we go back and look at the progression of the letter of Romans, we would find the breakdown as follows. In chapters 1, in chapter 1, 1 through 17, we find that the book has an introduction and the theme of the letter is given to us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In chapters 1 through 118 through chapter 3, verse 20, we learn that all of those who are outside of Jesus Christ are condemned to death. In this section, we learn that there is none who are righteous. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, it says there are none who are righteous, no, not one. It doesn't leave a whole lot of folks out when it says that. In chapters 3, 21 through, 5, uh, through 521, we're told that the righteous standing of our salvation is only through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the last time that I had the opportunity to be with you, we talked about the fact that it was through the death of Christ that we now have life and fellowship with God. John Stott says that the key verses of the letter to the Romans are found in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in the increase, uh, to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We want to hold on to that last, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We now come to the section that includes the scripture for the day. This section from in, verse, in chapters uh, 6, 7, and 8 is often considered chapters that deal with the concept of sanctification. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. After that, we'll have three chapters, chapters um, 9, 10, and 11, that indicate God's sovereignty in, in, in life. Then following that, in chapters 12 through the end of the book, we have how we live out theology. We sometimes get uh, frightened by that word theology. But one of the things that we always have to understand is that what we believe is what we will live. You can say to me, I believe something and do something entirely opposite. My reply to you is you really don't believe that. So what Paul does, not only in the book of Romans, but in the book of Ephesians and another, a number of other books, is that he gives us the theology upon which our lives are built and then tells us how we live those lives. 
So the section that we're dealing with today is a section on sanctification. When we use that term sanctification, we understand it to mean that it is something that has been set apart. The word sanctification means set apart. The word sanctification comes from the same root word as the word holy in the New Testament. So the process of sanctification is actually setting us apart to be holy. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through the book. I suggest to you that scriptures gives us three concepts of sanctification. The first is that sanctification is a positional. This is what takes place when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I am set aside to be made holy. I become a saint. As Father Don indicated a few weeks ago, this is a saint with a small s and not a large s. So that each and every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ has become a saint. Okay, And we read, uh, we read that. Paul refers to the members of different churches as saints in Romans chapter 1 verse 7, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. He calls the readers of those letters saints because he believes that they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, they have been set aside. They now become part of God's family. The second aspect of sanctification is a practical sanctification. It's a sanctification that takes over uh, take a, a, a period of time uh, in the lives of the people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and become more and more like Jesus. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So this is the aspect of everyday life. How do I draw nearer and nearer to God? The third sanctification is a permanent sanctification. And this only takes place in one of two ways. Number one, we either die and go to heaven, or number two, Jesus comes back and gets us. Okay? We either die, go to heaven, or Jesus comes back and gets us and takes us to heaven. This is what we see in the book of Revelation. True sanctification causes us to lay our lives before the throne of God and worship him in all that he is and in all that he does. I'd suggest to you that the, um, the, the, the mode of, of position in heaven probably is on our face before God as much as anything else. For this is when we really see him in all that he is and all that he does. I would suggest to you as we look at this passage today, it's incumbent upon us to look and see what Jesus is like. The scriptures are given to us, as I reminded you on a number of occasions, the scriptures were given to us so that we might know about God, or we might know who God is and what he is, and in knowing him, what he expects of us. So that when I go into the scriptures, I'm not looking for things that make life easier for me. I'm looking to see what I can learn about God, recognizing that he's the one who makes things uh, what they need to be in order to give me everything that I need. 
See? So those are the things that we need to be taking a look at. While we are believers and therefore saints, we're not perfect. Now I know that that may be, some of you may have, some of you may have problems with that statement, but I can pretty much guarantee you that I'm looking at a group of folks who are not perfect. And it comes right back at me. You ask, if you have any question about that, just ask my wife. <laughs> She'd be more than happy to tell you. Okay? So in this passage, the Apostle Paul tells us that we will either be a servant to, to sin or a slave or a servant to righteousness. We will serve a master that will lead us either to death or a master that will lead us to life. He points out to us that we will do things that are in opposition to, that if we do things in opposition to God, we are slaves to sin. If we do those things that where we allow God to control our lives, we will then be a slave to righteousness and life. A few weeks ago, as we looked at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, I pointed out to you uh, something in the Garden of Eden. You know, uh, we had the passage, we read from Genesis chapter 3, where uh, God said, don't eat, uh, you know, you, I, I have given you everything. You remember, I, I, I said to you that there was nothing that the people needed. They had everything that they needed to have a life that would be, would be fantastic before God and, and, and for themselves. They had everything. God said to them, you can eat of every tree of the fruit, uh, every tree that's in the garden except for one. You may not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. In the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And as I pointed out to you, there was really a question. There was nothing inherently wrong with the tree. As a matter of fact, Eve looked at it and said, looks good, has pleasing fruit. Why not? But the question really was, when God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was basically saying to them, will I satisfy you? Will you be satisfied in me, or will you look someplace else for your satisfaction? Well, we know how that turned out. They looked someplace else for their satisfaction. They wanted something else. They thought that they could have more if they did not what God said, but what they wanted to do. So that in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all sinned when Adam sinned. You and I sinned. We were born to sin, and that's what we pointed out. But we come to chapter 5, verse 21, where we see that Jesus Christ is the one on whom we can place our faith, and he can become our Lord and Master and give us life and not death. That's the idea that we move into. Paul calls us to recognize that based on the fact 
that Christ died for us on the cross and purchased our redemption through his blood, that he now is our master. Isn't it interesting how when we end chapter 5, verse 21, the last word in there is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord. Then we move into chapter 6, and the question that he asked in verse 1, should we go on sinning in order that grace might abound? And he said, Meganoito, that's right. Heaven forbid, no way. The same thing is said in verse 15. Our lectionary sometimes I wonder about. Because our passage begins in verse 16, but the, but the, but the um, paragraph actually begins in verse 15, and it also has that question where it says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God's grace has said, okay, I'm free. I am now free. And so we have life. So I can do anything that I want. And he says there, me genoito, absolutely not. And then he begins with the text that we're looking at, which says, which says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? And he makes this point here that you will either be a slave to sin or you will be a slave to righteousness. Was, uh, my wife, um, Matthew, was quite right uh, last week when he says that one of the only reasons why I have sermons that work is because of my wife. So, you know, I'm not sure that she, um, she didn't, she wasn't as concerned about this sermon as I was. And so she was reading Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans. Y'all listen to him on the radio, some of you may listen to him on the radio or see him on TV or whatever. And Tony wrote a book that's called Watch Your Mouth, Understanding the Power of the Tongue. And he touches on the concept of being slaves to righteousness. By the way, the, uh, the, to be slaves of righteousness, we found out at, find in verse 22 that when we are slaves to righteousness, it actually means that we are slaves to God. Okay? Who controls my life is the question. This is what Tony had to say. The word Lord means master. To declare, to, to declare Jesus as Lord means that he is the one in control and is calling the shots in your life and your speech. He goes on to say, in fact, to call Jesus Lord is to call yourself a slave. This shows up in Romans where Paul opens with these words. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus called as an apostle, and singled out for God's good news. The job of a slave is to follow the dictates of the master. As children of God, we are Christ's slaves. Isn't it interesting in the middle of this, as, as uh, Kathy was reading, or uh, yes, Kathy was reading this, he says, I'm speaking to you in, uh, in human terms because we don't like that term slave. That's a pejorative term. I, I, don't, I don't like to be in, I don't like to be, I don't like to have anybody have control. And, and, and over and above that, we're Americans. 
I, we are free, you know? And uh, so he says, I'm using this with the idea that you understand this, this the, the sincerity of this concept of being controlled by Christ. It's what he's really saying there. So as we look at the passage, we really need to ask ourselves, if we've made Jesus the Lord or master of our lives, what's going to happen? If we have, and if we call him Lord, then he ought to be the one that controls our lives. You know? Paul's argument here is that we're slaves. We are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness in Jesus Christ, one way or the other. Once again, remember, death is not annihilation. Being a slave to sin leads to death. Being a slave to righteousness leads to life. We need to remember that death is not annihilation or cessation. Death is separation. What happened in the garden was that man was separated from God. God put him out. No longer did they walk in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the cool of the evening and have the fellowship together. You know, we often begin our prayers with, Lord, and when we use that term, we're really saying, Lord, you're our master. You're the one. But isn't it interesting how oftentimes we go ahead and go, Lord, let me tell you what I want. This is what I want from you, right? Well, I, I thought about that, and then I thought, that would be okay if we follow Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight in the Lord, and, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in the Lord. You know, when we begin to delight in something, we want to please. Isn't it interesting when we look at Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, and he saw his standing before God. And he said, here I am. You send me. I'll be your servant. When we see God for who he is and what he is in all of his glory, then we ought to be willing to say, you send me where you want to send me. You let me do what you want me to do. Those things become the desires of of my heart when I know who God is. That's why the folks in Revelation are bowing before God because they see God in all of his glory. You know, one of the things that I think that we need to see is that Paul does give us the, the concept of what it means to be, what it means to be um, slaves to sin or, or do the works of the flesh. Over in chapter five of the Galatians, he says that these works are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Well, what's interesting, most of the folks sitting in here go, well, we don't do most of those things. And the, and the operative word is most of those things. Okay? But the question is, uh, do, we have, uh, do we have envy? Is there a possibility that we cause divisions? 
When I look back in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, it's, all, it's interesting to me. We get past verse, we get to verse 18, and he begins to show us what happens in the world. These people move away from God. And you know what the interesting thing is? You know what the, uh, you know what the punishment for sin is in those passages? More sin. More sin. And he gave them over, it says. And he says that twice. And the interesting thing, the thing is that it ends up, it ends up with things we go, well, uh, I don't know, is that really, is that really sin, you know? I mean, things like, uh, here we go, they, they're gossips. Oh, we never do that, thank God. Okay, let's see, they're slanderers, they're haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. You know, I told my kids uh, when I was teaching over at school, isn't it interesting, in the Old Testament, do you know what the punishment for disobedience to parents were? Not honoring, what? Stoning. Whoa. It's amazing that we still have um, kids. Fortunately, we also have a God who is gracious and teaches us to be gracious as well. Uh, Or foolish, or faithless, or heartless, or ruthless. That's at the end. In other words, living a life that says that I find satisfaction in other things than God... I will allow sin to become the master of my life, and it will rule my life. When I make myself a slave to God and call him master, my life is characterized by what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. That is when people will see you and see me, me, if Jesus is our master, to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control when he's the master of our lives. What did I say? Sin leads to what? Death. Death is equal to what? Separation. What happens in the first? When I sin, how are my relationships with other people? They're really good, aren't they? When I lie to somebody, I really have a good relationship with them, don't I? I just, I pray, oh God, don't let me see them and forget what I said to them last time. Right? I don't want to see them. And we, and we, and we look at these things and we, and and we go from there. But when, when God is in control of our lives, what do we see? We see love. What does love want to do? Love wants to come close. There's joy. I'm thankful that I'm with God's people or I'm with God, right? It's the place that I want to be. It's where real life is. And there's goodness and faithfulness and we reach out. And it's a welcoming spirit, isn't it? I believe that we will make Jesus the Lord of our lives when we truly recognize who God is. Psalm 89, verse 14 teaches us, Righteousness and justice 
are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The more we see God and, and who he is, the more that we'll be able to fall before his faith, before his throne, and worship him as we walk on earth and participate in practical sanctification. It's not who I am. It's about who he is. He is the God of righteousness, and he's a God who will judge. I was talking to someone on Friday, and we were talking about fear. We don't like that word fear when it's used to God. We just use the word reverence. But sometimes we need to fear God because he's a God that will discipline. He is a God who is righteous and will judge. And I need to look at those things in my life. D, those are the foundations for which Jesus came. And he died so that God showed his righteousness and justice and love and faithfulness to us. In closing, Gordon Green in a devotional on Matthew 15 says, what is our takeaway? We may seem it may seem obvious, and to a certain extent it is. Righteousness is an inside-out transformation initiated by the Holy Spirit who verifies the word of God in our hearts and sparks our faith. We begin the journey with repentance and confession that Jesus is Lord. Then comes the long and challenging road of learning obedience to the word and the provocations of the Holy Spirit over the rest of our lives. He matures our love for the Father and Son, deepens our understanding of Christ's grace. By the way, oftentimes we talk about the grace of God that leads us to salvation. It is only the grace of God that allows us to live sanctified lives through the gift of his Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Grace doesn't end at salvation. It's just getting going. He matures our love for the Father and Son. He deepens our understanding. He exposes lingering idols and other obstacles born in self-deception and replaces those strongholds with more affection for the Father and the Son that inspires us to press on. The question that we have to ask ourselves as we look at Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 23. Who am I going to serve? Will I serve sin which will lead to death or separation, not only with God, but with others? Or will I serve righteousness and God and thereby live life so that I am now at peace with God and with others? That's the question I have to ask myself each and every day, who will be my master? Will it be sin that leads to death or will it be righteousness that leads to life?